You are listening to the podcast of New Life Church in Wayland, Michigan. Our longing is to see zero people in our community living unchanged by Jesus. We are a church navigating the messiness of life together in community. One of our core convictions is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. I hope you know there is a place in the family for you here. For more information on gathering times and location, check out our website. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through this word. Good morning. Happy Resurrection Sunday. You know it's Easter when our staff wears stuff other than t-shirts to church. And so, man, we are so excited to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ together as a community here this morning. I want to take you back to January of 2008. It had just been a pretty bad snowstorm. It was a Sunday morning, and my girlfriend at the time and I were were on our way to church. She was driving her mom's truck. I was riding in the passenger seat. And we're driving along on the highway, and we're coming to a point where two highways are merging into each other, two highways are meeting. And all of a sudden, we hit a patch of black ice and begin spinning out of control. The Chevy Avalanche, which is a pretty fitting name for our given circumstance, was careening in circles across six lanes of highway traffic, probably spun five, six times, until all of a sudden, bam, we hit the cement barrier on the other side, and the car is completely undrivable. It's totaled. And now we're facing the wrong way, and we're sitting there, just kind of waiting for somebody to come, whether it be a police officer, a tow truck, her parents, somebody to come and rescue us in this moment. But that wasn't the worst part. The worst part is as we were sitting there, we were watching other cars in traffic hit the same patch of black ice and begin spinning themselves like boomerangs right towards where we were. And so what we do is we get out of the car hop over the cement median and just sit there. We had nowhere else that we could go, hoping that we didn't get hit. Now, luckily, we didn't, but as I was sitting there, there is one word that was just racing through my mind in this moment. It's the word if. If. If we had just stayed home during bad weather, this would not have happened. If we had just been driving in the other lane, we would not have hit the black ice. If she would have just let the man drive. Kidding? I'm kidding. That was a, oh my gosh, don't throw. That was a joke. I'm a horrible driver, way worse than my wife. But, but the point is, if, oh man, some of you who don't know me hate me right now. <laughs> if one of those cars had spun out and hit us, if there had been traffic, other cars, as we were spinning, if her parents kill us, if we actually ever get out of here, if, if, if. If is the stuff of hypotheticals. It's the stuff of regrets. It's the stuff of close calls. Every single one of us have ifs in our life. In fact, that one word, if, it carries so much power for so many of us. Why is that? Because every single one of us are carrying in some way or another the power of the past, the trouble of today, and a fear of the future. We are all carrying the power of the past, 
the trouble of today, and a fear of, future, of the future. And my ifs can look like regrets that live in the past, can't they? If we hadn't taken the Chevy Avalanche, we would not be in this position. If I had seen the red flags and lies before I married him. If we had caught the tumor sooner. We all have ifs that live in the past, but we also have ifs that live in the present right now. If anybody knew what I was going through, if anybody really knew me, then I would not be loved. If I slow down to rest for even just a moment, the grief is going to hit me like a freight train. We have ifs that live in the present, and we also have ifs that live in the future, don't we? If the cancer takes her from me, I don't know how I will survive. If I take this new job and hate it, if I try this new thing and fail, every single one of us have painful ifs that live in the past, today, and the future. And a question I want you to process here this morning is do your most painful ifs live in your past? Do they live in your present? Or do they live in your future? Do they live in the form of trauma and wounds from the past, grief and hardship in the present, or anxiety and fear in the future? If I'm being honest, I probably have all three from time to time. I think probably all of us do. But an even more important question worth asking, and this is one that has absolutely transformed my life with the ifs that I carry and live with, is this question here. What happens if Jesus gets a hold of the story? That's a question worth asking, church. What if Jesus gets a hold of my story? I want to invite you to turn this morning in our teaching text to John chapter 11. And if you don't have your Bible, the words will be on the screen uh, for you here this morning. But John chapter 11, and as you're turning there, I want to take a moment just to set the scene and set the stage for Jesus and his disciples. So Jesus is on his way to Bethany because One of his very best friends in the world has just died, has just passed away. And so he is going to Bethany to be with Lazarus, is the name of the guy that died. He's he's going to Bethany to be with Lazarus' family, to mourn with them and grieve with them. But there's something Jesus and his disciples know that Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, his family, don't know. And this is important. Jesus knows that when he goes to visit Lazarus, he is going to raise him from the dead. He's going to resuscitate him. In fact, in John 11, twice, Jesus says, our brother Lazarus, he's just sleeping. We got to go wake him up. It's almost like casual how he says it. He's sleeping. We got to go wake him up. And so when Jesus arrives on the scene, as you would expect, Martha and Mary, Lazarus' sisters, are deeply entrenched in grief. And they greet Jesus the exact same way as each other separately. This is what they say to Jesus. Lord, what's that next word? If, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They say this exact same thing. Martha says it and then Mary says it too. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This are identical phrases from these sisters to Jesus. And if you're honest with yourself, you probably have ifs with God too. God, if you were real and you cared, then why is there so much pain and suffering and hardship in the world? Jesus, if, if 
the people that claim to follow you are actually following you, why are Christians so mean sometimes? God, if you are the creator of heaven and earth, everything in the world came to existence by your voice, then why do we have cats living among us? Right? <laughs> Amen. So, man, I, I think I just nailed the coffin a little bit tighter after that statement for some. If you had been there, I would not feel so alone and bitter right now. We all have ifs with Jesus. And what I think is so cool about this text is Martha and Mary know Jesus. They're close friends of him. They're followers of him. And yet, they still bring their ifs. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. They still bring their ifs to Jesus. And Jesus' response to them, he has very different responses to the two of them, but his response to them gives us a glimpse into how he actually rewrites the story if he's able to get a hold of it. And so reading on in verse 23 here, I want you to see how he responds to Lazarus' sister, Martha, first. This is what he says in verse 23. Jesus said to Martha, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So she's a Jewish woman who believes in the resurrection of the dead when Messiah comes. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. That is my very identity. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this, Martha? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. I want you to notice here how Jesus meets Martha in her ifs. He meets her in her fear of the future specifically. I mean, listen to what he, what he says here. He's using future language with Martha here. He says, your brother will rise again. In other words, looking forward to the future, there is hope your ifs. He, he goes on to say, whoever believes in me, though he die, he will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Jesus is pointing Martha to the future. Now, the reason this is important is because if you know anything about this character, Martha, you know that she is a logical, straight-lined, linear thinker. She is rational about everything. She's the one who, while Jesus is being entertained in their home, cooks and cleans and hosts and just obsesses over the less important thing. And what Jesus does is he meets her in her grief in this way because this is how this linear, logical thinker needs to be met in her grief. I've been with a lot of grieving families over the years, and there's always one Martha in every single family. The one who, in the midst of the grief, is doing the cooking and the cleaning and the hosting and the taking care of everybody else solely, solely to distract themselves from the idea of a tomorrow without their loved one. See, Martha's, Martha's have deep anxiety when they are confronted with their own lack of control of the future. And what Jesus says to Martha and what Martha needs most in this moment is Jesus to come to her with the full authority of God and say firmly yet lovingly, I am here. I am resurrection. I am life. That is my very identity. He who believes in me will never die. In other words, he points her to hope for the future. 
her ifs. If you would have been here, my brother would not have died. He confronts these ifs by pointing her to the future and saying to her, resurrection means that the worst thing, or the, uh, the worst thing is never the last thing. I'm going to say that again because I messed that up. Resurrection means the worst thing is never the last thing. As Paul in 1 Thessalonians writes, if you are in Christ, you will grieve. That's a guarantee. You will have hardship. You will have unanswered questions. But you will never grieve without hope. Your grief isn't marked by despair. It's marked by hope. That in the person of Jesus, the worst thing is never the last thing. That there is hope, not just for tomorrow, but for eternity when you are in Christ. And sometimes the most loving response that Jesus can possibly have to the ifs that I bring him, the most loving thing that he can do to confront my fear and anxiety about the future is to meet me with his full power and authority as God. I think of some examples in our lives. It's like that friend who calls you two weeks into the grief and you have not been able to bring yourself to get out of bed. And they say, hey, tomorrow you're taking a shower for all of our sakes. <laughs> and then I'm going to come pick you up and we're going to go grab breakfast because we need to take a step forward in hope together. It's that brother or sister who sees the road that you're walking on and loves you enough to say, hey, your habits, if you keep going down this road, they're going to lead you to a place of destruction. Sometimes God, in his mercy, allows us to hit rock bottom so that we can get a small glimpse of where we are headed if we stay on the same road that we are on. I'll just say to some of you here, some of you know that what you're doing is not working. That your life isn't working. That when you look at your future, it's not marked by hope. It's marked by uncertainty and fear and maybe even despair. When you look to the future, you don't like what you see. You're like a, you're like a phone that's not plugged in. You may have some life left in you, but you are slowly dying and you may not even see it. And what Jesus does in this moment and the way that he meets those buried in grief and unanswered questions and struggles of today and fear of the future is he says with the full authority of God, with compassion and love and, and firm authority and power as well, wake up, sleeper. Come out of your grave. There is hope for the future. Resurrection means the worst thing is never the last thing. Martha, I am resurrection, I am life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. But if this was the only place that Jesus met us in our grief, he'd be like that friend that <laughs> says all of the wrong things all the time and doesn't actually understand what we're going through. If, if that's the only place, if Jesus just came and saw people who have unanswered questions or suffering or grieving, and he just said, hey, it's going to get better one day, that feels a little bit removed, doesn't it? Distant, calloused. If that's the only place that he met us, I, I might even say, Jesus, you're cruel and cold and removed from the pain of the humanity you love so much. Until we see how he meets Martha's sister, Mary. 
And in verse 33, this is what happens as he encounters Mary. When Jesus saw Mary weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then perhaps one of the most striking verses in all of Scripture, it says this, Jesus wept. He wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved Lazarus. But some of them said, could not he, this Jesus, who opened the eyes of the blind man, also have kept this man from dying? So not only does Jesus meet Martha in her fear of the future, what he does for Mary is he meets her in the trouble of today. He meets Mary in her ifs in the trouble of today. See, as Mary speaks to Jesus and she falls at his feet and Jesus is moved to weeping himself, he is not weeping for his friend Lazarus. That's important. Keep in mind, he already knows he's going to resurrect Lazarus. He's not weeping for his friend who passed away. He's weeping because Jesus sits in the pain and the discomfort and the trouble that every single one of us have in today. Why Jesus weeps? He weeps over the chaos of sin. He weeps over the pain and suffering that spread from the serpent's deception. He weeps over the consequences of the curse that people made in his image cannot escape on our own. If only I had not gotten behind the wheel and driven in that condition. Jesus weeps. He co-suffers. If only I had never married him. I would have never been raped and I would not be drowning in an ocean of depression today. Jesus sees that and he weeps. He co-suffers. That's what the word compassionate literally means when it describes Jesus. He is a co-sufferer right there, closer than you know, feeling the full weight of the hardship and the grief today. If I flirt with her at the office a little bit, if I go to the bar with her after work, if I go home with her after the bar, my wife will never know. Jesus sees this, and he weeps, and he co-suffers. See, when confronted with the consequences of your sin and my sin and the devastating effects that sin has had on families, nations, communities, individuals, Jesus sees that, and he weeps. He's not weeping for the dead man in the grave named Lazarus. He's weeping for every single one of us. He's weeping for Mary. He's weeping for Martha. He's weeping for those who are mourning. He's weeping for his own death to come. He's grieving and weeping for you and for me. Isaiah 53 describes Jesus as a man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief. And that he took on our sicknesses and our infirmities and our grief upon himself. Church, we have a God who bleeds and who weeps because of our sin and all of its devastating effects. And don't miss this. This is what's so cool. That as Jesus is standing here with Mary and Martha, one foot in hope for the future and one foot in the grief of today, as he holds both grief and hope in one hand and the other, as he stands here as 
fully human, fully man, grieving and feeling the weight and the impact of sin right alongside us. As he stands in that place while also being fully and forever God, we have to ask the question, what happens if Jesus gets a hold of this family story? And this, my friends, is precisely the place where he calls forth resurrection. Verse 38 of John 11 says this, then Jesus deeply moved again. And I love that phrase, deeply moved again, because the English translators of this phrase actually kind of translate it badly. There's not a lot of great English translations of this, but if you really were to read it literally, what it means or what it says here is then Jesus, furious, angry, livid, beside himself. He is angry in this moment. What is he angry at? He's angry at death. He's angry at the consequences of sin. He is livid in this moment. And so with this righteous anger, he comes to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Skipping down to verse 43, the man who had died came out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Put yourself in the place of Lazarus or Martha or Mary for just a moment. Do you think any of their days after this were the same? When they looked back at the story of their brother's death, do you think that was a story marked by despair? Or a story marked by victory and hope. See, here's what Jesus has the power to do. Jesus didn't just stand there and give Martha hope for the future. And he didn't just meet Mary and grieve with her in the present. He actually has the power to rewrite the past through his resurrection as well. This is the hope of the resurrection, that Jesus breaks the power of the past. He comforts us in the troubles of today, and he gives us forever hope for the future. That is what happens if Jesus gets a hold of the story. Lazarus, you can read this and you can think, man, cute story, but kind of irrelevant. Except for the fact that Lazarus' story points us directly to a greater death and resurrection that would come, the one of Jesus Christ himself. In fact, at the end of this chapter, verse 53, it says, after Lazarus was raised from the dead, it was from this point on that the Jewish leaders obsessed over making a plot to kill Jesus. John, what John wants us to see is that when we read the story of Lazarus' death and resurrection, he is painting a straight line from this point on to Jesus' own death and resurrection. And what Jesus' death and resurrection does is it doesn't just make Lazarus' story a story for one family at one time. It makes Lazarus' story possible for every single person who will receive the salvation of Jesus Christ. John 5 says that Jesus calls forth the dead from their graves into new life. That's what he does. That's who he is. And the best evidence that I have that he is still doing this today is my own story. A story that I will never stop telling for as long as I have breath in my lungs. For 30 years of my life, some of you know this story well, for 30 years of my life, I was a, a kid drowning 
in shame, hiding, and loneliness. I wrestled with my own sexuality. I wrestled with same-sex attraction. This is a story we've told our church many times. But I was alone, drowning, filled with shame and fear. And I, as a 13-year-old boy, just remember vividly laying in my bed in the middle of the night, just screaming at God my ifs. God, if you loved me, why am I dealing with this? God, if anybody knew what I was struggling with, I would be cast out unconditionally. God, if I could just be like everybody else. God, if I could just stop living. God, take my life from me. I don't want this. I don't want anything to do with it. What I never considered for 30 years of my life, buried in shame, loneliness, and isolation. What I never considered once. And I, Mind you, I had gone to church my whole life. What I never considered is what could happen if Jesus got a hold of the story. And what Jesus has done is he has provided so much healing and so much restoration. It's a story that I began telling to counselors and pastors, and we've shared it with our church. And God began to redeem and heal even the most broken, hidden, shame-filled parts of my own life. He gave me a love and a longing for my own wife that I didn't know was possible. He has healed so much of my shame. And by the way, there are still moments in my life where he has to come meet me in my own grief and my own suffering. I'm still a work in progress, but I know I have a God who weeps right next to me when I am hurting and weeping. Amen. Right? I don't ever want to pretend like trusting in Jesus is just, hey, all hardship and all grief is gone. No, like we're promised that grief will come. We're promised that hardship will come. Resurrection is a process. It is a journey. But here's what I want you to hear. The resurrection of Jesus has the power to rewrite all of it past, present, and future. Two weeks ago, somebody came up to me from our church and said, hearing your story saved my life because I have wrestled with my sexuality as well, and I would be dead by suicide today had you not shared your story with our church. And my immediate response in that moment was, if 13-year-old Brad could see what God would do with this story, could see what, Jesus, what would happen if Jesus got a hold of this story. Man, that changes past, present, and future. That rewrites the narrative in the light of resurrection. What I thought was to be buried in shame and isolation and hiding God has used for the redemption of other people. And that's just one story. I've heard dozens of stories like that from people in our church. See, it's not just me. I've seen what happens time and time again when Jesus is invited to rewrite the story, past, present, and future. It's the woman in our church who for years of her life was in an abusive marriage and suffered the abuse of a spouse that did not love her. And she shared her story with me and she said, I used to say my abuse or my abuser, but today I say the abuse and the abuser because that is not my identity. Jesus has rewritten the story. It's the guy in our church who has served five years in prison and is now feeling a calling from God to go back into the same prison system and work men's weekends so that he can share the love of Jesus Christ with other people. Jesus rewrites the story. But the question for every single one of us is what if Jesus gets a hold of my story? Because he will not force his way in.
he will not come in uninvited. What if Jesus were to get a hold of my story? See, there's an invitation here this morning for every single one of us to let Jesus get a hold of our story. To let Jesus rewrite the parts of the past that we want to forget. To let Jesus sit and comfort us and grieve with us in the hardship of the present. And for, to let Jesus give us a rewritten story of hope for the future. The question for you to answer for yourself is, will you trust in Jesus today? Will you trust in him with your story? The gospel is simply this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Friends, this story of Jesus and Lazarus does not allow us to sit in indifference about Jesus and say, oh, hey, he was a good teacher or he had some great ideas. No, he claimed to be resurrection and life. For Jesus, it's all or nothing. It's everything belongs to him or nothing belongs to him. And the question is, will you trust in Jesus today? Will you forsake your sin? If Jesus is resurrection in person, if he is life come to life, then I will forsake everything in my life that reeks of sin and death to run after him with everything I've got. If Jesus went through death and bursted out of a grave into a new world, a new creation, a new life, where death itself had been defeated and life in all of its fullness could finally begin, I will receive that invitation. The question for you is, do you believe that is true about Jesus? Do you believe that? Romans 10.9 says, By confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord... And believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, I will be saved. Salvation, it is a free gift for all who will receive it, for all who will invite Jesus to rewrite their story, for all who will renounce their sins and repent of the things in their life that are broken, to repent of all of the if scenarios that we have created for ourselves and for others. And to come to the cross and to lay our lives down and say, Jesus, everything that I am belongs to you. Will you receive that invitation here this morning? Maybe you're here and, and you've never done that. This is all new and maybe even a little weird to you. All it takes is a genuine prayer of repentance, which just means turning from sin and trust in the person of Jesus. Jesus, all I am is all yours. And so if you're here this morning and maybe you prayed that prayer one time as a kid, but it never really changed anything for you. Maybe you've never prayed that prayer before. I want to invite you here this morning to join me in praying that. And as, you, as I pray these words, I want you just to repeat them quietly in your heart and receive his free gift of salvation. Invite him to come rewrite your story for you here this morning. Pray with this, pray this with me if, if you desire to receive this. Let's pray. Jesus, I am a sinner in need of a savior. And you are my savior. You died in my place 
to take all the punishment for my sin. I receive your gift of salvation by grace through faith. You are the Lord of my life. I invite you to rewrite my story. I know you are the Son of God. I'm yours. Save me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you're here, whether you're in person or you're joining us online and and you prayed that prayer, I want to just ask you to do me a favor in these next few moments. Everyone, if you can find the card that is on your seat or near your seat, just grab that and a pen. And what we're going to do is we're just going to leave a moment of space here for you to, for you to fill that out. If that's you, if you prayed that prayer, if you trusted in Jesus, I want you to fill that card out. If you're joining online, there's a link on our website that you, or on the bottom of the screen that you can go to. We're just going to leave some space for you to fill that out. And then at the end of the service, I'll give you instructions um, on what to do with that card because we would love to celebrate with you. We'd love to walk with you as you invite Jesus to rewrite your story. So go ahead and take just a moment to fill that out if you prayed that prayer.